and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Edward Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're talking about a tenancy tribunal issue, a previous case, specifically talking about intentional damage, where a tenant was ordered to pay a total of about nine grand to the landlord in compensation for a range of issues, but one of which was intentional damage. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to go through the case. We're going to talk about what happened and the lessons that you can learn as a property investor. Now, Andrew, why do we bother doing these sorts of episodes? Well, the reason we do these is because it shows the practicalities of how tenancy law is applied, first of all. It also reminds us the fundamentals of being a good landlord. And finally, it makes us appreciate our property managers and what we pay them. So what's the setup? The property was located in Wellington. The landlord is Miss Mary Fisher. Real and, name. Yep, real name. And there were six... T- <laughs> you, you, made, you made that look like that was a surprise. Oh, it was a surprise. To me. I, just, I was just surprised that it was an important note. And there were six tenants on the tenancy <laughs> agreement. It was a three-bedroom unit rented out for $700 a week. And Mary, of course, had been managing it privately. Now, Mary did what we expected quite a few landlords to do. She entered the tenancy as a result of the 90-day notice. So this is the thing which, as of the 11th of February, you were no longer able to do. Mary pulled the plug. Why'd she do that? She was concerned that there were some rent arrears and she was worried about the number of people who were actually living within the property and the state of the property while she was doing her inspections. We're going to get into some of this. Now, having said that, she already knew who was living in the property because, as Andrew had mentioned, all six tenants were on the tenancy agreement already, which had been renewed in about 2019. Now, we're going to get into this. It did, of course, go to the tenancy tribunal. So Mary, in this case, had applied for rent arrears, substantial compensation for cleaning costs and damages. So she said two things. First of all, the property, the condition you've left it in, it's not a clean and tidy standard, which is what it needs to be in order for her to re-tenant that. And she also claimed for a number of damages and wanted the bond repaid to her and wanted to be reimbursed the filing fee. Now, the tenants defended this claim on the basis they had said that they had left the property in a reasonably clean and tidy state. They didn't think they had damaged the property beyond fair wear and tear. Of course, if there is fair wear and tear on the property, a bit of damage caused by people living in it, to the degree that would reasonably be expected, then Mary's got to fund that. And that's what would usually be expected on that property. It's not something you can claim back against the tenant for. So let's talk about what it all came down to. So 60% of what Mary got paid out for in that 9.1k was for damages. And that was for things like there were doors broken, there were burns on carpet, there were burns on some of the deck, some pretty bad things. There was 13% for cleaning and 28% in rent arrears and exemplary damages. So let's go through what the story is with the renter is. First of all, they were already behind $1,200. And so Mary was claiming for that. But there was this real issue about defining when the tenancy actually ended. Officially, it was meant to end on the 31st of January. But when Mary then went in and looked at the property, she said, this isn't reasonably clean and tidy. So I need you to come back and do some work. Now, she had taken a photo on the 2nd of February, two days later, showing that the tenants' cars were still there on the 2nd of February. Now, they were there to do cleaning. But what Mary said was, look, I didn't get the keys back until the 9th of February. And so because the rent is $100 a day, $700 a week, I want to be paid for those extra nine days. I want an extra $900. 
there was a bit of an issue here of defining, well, what was the exact date that the tenants moved out? Well, they did move out on the 31st and they needed to come back in order to clean some things. And Mary didn't get the first set of keys. She got two of the four sets of keys back on the 5th of February. Now, here's what the adjudicator said. She said, I accept that not all tenants returned their keys on time and the tenants did fail to communicate clearly with Ms. Fisher about their movements and the return of all their keys, which may have left her, Mary in this case, with a sense that she could not take over the property herself until at least after the 5th of February. So she had been awarded an extra $500 for those days, which she felt that she wasn't able to tenant that property. There's some really kind of case-by-case things here about, well, what is that exact date that a landlord can say, well, they didn't move out until that point, or I wasn't able to tenant that property up until that point. And I'd expect that actually, there are probably a lot of property managers out there and landlords who wouldn't be charging the tenant up until the date which the cleaning's all been done in that case. Now, tell us about these exemplary damages. There are some things to learn here. So Mary claimed quite a number of things here, and Ed and I were just talking about this before, and there's a maximum fine for each of up to $1,000. So we wonder if she just chucked everything at the wall to see what would stick. So the first one was adding malware to her, Mary's, computer. Well, there was no evidence to support that. So right, let me just get this straight. So she had claimed that the tenants had hacked her computer or something. This is something that you would claim, Ed. <laughs> you were the one who added in a GPS device into tenant property so you could figure out where they lived. Okay, I'm not the one on trial here, Ed. Mary is. Second was that they failed to quit the premises at the end of the tenancy. Well, no, as it's just previously discussed, this is normally for when a tenant refuses to leave. And they didn't refuse to leave, they just had to come back for cleaning. Number three, they assigned or subletted the property without permission. Well, this didn't happen either. So one tenant went to India for an extended period and he was replaced by a flatmate whilst he was gone. So this isn't considered subletting or assigning the tenancy. As long as most of the tenants remain, Mrs. Fisher cannot prevent flatmates. She can only control how many live there. Which leads into my next point. So they exceeded the number of tenants permitted, and this happened. So for some reason, even though there were six people living there, on the tenancy agreement, it said that there was a maximum of five. Maybe that was just an oversight in the agreement. But at one stage, there were seven people living at the property at one time. And there was an email used as evidence for this. So exceeding the number of tenants increases the degree of fear, wear and tear. Because of course, the property is getting more worn out if there's more tenants there. So in this case, Ms. Fisher was awarded $500 for that point. Now, here's the interesting thing though. Where does the line get crossed over? And I'm not sure if we're going to answer it in today's episode of being a visitor versus a tenant or living within the property. Because of course, if I'm tenanting a property and say there's a maximum of one person living there, if I then have my mother come stay with me, that's not me exceeding the maximum number of tenants within the property. I just happen to have a visitor, which I'm allowed to do. Yeah, I guess it's how you actually get the evidence for this, because you're not going to email your property management firm and let them know that you've got your mother staying for the weekend. Number five, use the property for commercial purposes. Now there was no evidence of this, the tenants are entitled to store things related to their work or businesses at their home. So there's no issue of that, even if it's a residential property. 
and they're entitled to use the home address to register a company or list their address as a director. So these claims weren't considered. So what probably happened there was Mary had gone online at the company's office, saw some things there. Maybe when she's doing her inspections, she saw a couple of boxes of stock or something yeah, along these lines. Something like that, which you're, you're That's pretty to. normal. Yeah. Number six, denied access to show the property to prospective tenants. Now this did happen. While they were trying to organise to rent the house out to new tenants, Mary was refused access. And so as a result, she was awarded $300 for this. What I found really interesting about the point from the adjudicator here was they said that there's a public interest in tenants respecting a landlord's right of entry. And so that's why they awarded some exemplary damages. I felt like the adjudicator in this case was pretty fair on the landlord in many instances. Yeah. Now, let me just talk to you about the cleaning, which made up only a very small percentage of the damages that were awarded before we get on to the intentional damage stuff, which is where it really starts to get meaty. There was about $1,100-odd awarded for cleaning, and the tenants actually stated that they'd already hired a cleaner and had gone back in themselves. And what was really good about what Mary did was that she took a lot of photographic evidence so that when she was talking to the tenancy tribunal adjudicator, she was able to say, well, even if they did hire a professional cleaner and they came in again, the thing was it wasn't left in a reasonably clean and tidy state. And because of that, she was awarded quite a lot. She'd applied for an extra 300 odd dollars saying that the carpet needed to be cleaned. But in this case, Mary hadn't provided photographic evidence that the carpet needed to be cleaned and therefore she wasn't awarded that. So you need to go into quite some detail in order to establish that each cost you are claiming for is actually legitimate. Now let's get to the interesting thing, Andrew, which are these damages which Mary was claiming for, especially the intentional damage. Talk to us about these. So there was just under $5,500 awarded for damages. Now, there are two types of damages. There's careless, which is limited to four weeks rent or the excess on insurance, whichever is the lower, and there's intentional. And the interesting part about this is there's no limit to what can be charged to the tenant because it's their fault. Most of the points were careless and went beyond fair wear and tear. Three were intentional. Burns on the carpet in the living room, Burns on the deck and a door that had a lock affixed to it without permission, which was subsequently forced open. What did Mary not get approved? So she applied for $3,410 for 45 square metres of carpet. That seems really expensive. That's really good carpet by the sounds of it for a flat or something like that and didn't supply an invoice or a quote. So the tenants had already moved in, the new tenants had already moved in, so it didn't actually appear to be an issue. What I want to know though, Andrew, if I can jump in there, is what would the tenants have been doing in order to burn the carpet in the living room or burn the deck. And intentionally as well. well. That's the weird thing. Well, when I was reading through the case study, the interesting thing was that they had done it repeatedly. And so the adjudicator had said, well, you would have been able to tell that what you were doing, I wonder whether they were doing shisha, shisha. or that something exactly like that. And then, you know, it was repeatedly causing damage. Yes. And so you saw it build up over time. That's why it was considered intentional. Now, so she didn't get the full amount, but there was a $1,300 amount awarded to her. And the reason for the difference is because of depreciation. So because, because the carpet was old in the house, then the landlord 
whilst they have to replace it, doesn't get the full amount because it's a better carpet now. Mary also claimed for three and a half grand for other damage, which wasn't approved since they were the landlord's responsibilities. And these things included missing drain cover, an oven element, repairs to the laundry tub slash cabinet, repairs to the hot water cylinder, repairs to the kitchen tap and shower, replacing a doorstep, all these kind of things. So even if some of these things are broken, you as the landlord, this is your responsibility in order to cover it. This is just like this in healthy homes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Now let's talk about what Mary did right, because there were a lot of things that she did right. There were some things she did wrong as the landlord in this instance. So she'd renewed the tenancy in 2019 in order to get all of the tenants on there. So initially she didn't have all of the tenants actually on the tenancy agreement. She'd gone through and put all of them back on because she wanted real clarity about who was actually living within the property. And that probably served her really well when you had that flatmate move in and she would have been able to notice that because that person wasn't named on the tenancy agreement. And you can tell if you're reading this case study, you can access this as well. If our producer, David, is really nice to us, he'll let me know to link that in the show notes. And she'd taken a lot of photos about the lack of cleanliness in order to establish that that most of the costs that she was claiming for, she had real solid evidence that, yes, that needed to be redone. Yes, that needed to be replaced. And she was very orderly about taking specific records about receipts, and generally speaking, got those quotes in that case. But there are a couple of things she did wrong, Andrew. What are some of those things you've picked up? So it sounds like in this process, Mary, the landlord, became quite emotional. And certainly the communications between her and the tenants would support this. And so remember, the tenants do have a right to their privacy and they do have a right to you know, live a good life in that home that you're renting out to them. Yes, it's your house, but it's their home. And in this case, it seems that some tension started to brew and then Mary sort of took it out on them. And so the adjudicator made point of this and maybe was a bit harder on her because of that. So the tenant did make an error failing to allow Mary to bring prospective tenants through the property. But, and this is a quote, Mary partly created the obstruction by the tenants from the disrespectful manner in which she has communicated with them. And they, the tenants, have become frustrated in the manner in which Miss Fisher communicated with them and had misinterpreted the law. So I think this is a really good reminder of why we use property managers. This can be quite frustrating. As a property investor myself and having managed properties myself, I know it's really upsetting when tenants don't take as good care of the property as you would expect. But also maybe, you know, sometimes we set the bar a little high, even with investors that I talk to, there might be some, you know, little blip that I think you just kind of turn a blind eye for. If it's not the end of the world, don't make it into an issue when it's not, especially if you've got some tenants who are mostly okay. So using a property manager to kind of remind you of this is quite useful sometimes. And, and you know, certainly for myself, when I did have those problematic tenants in Rangiora and I put the SIM card in the DVD player and, and tracked them, these are the kind of things that us DIYers start to do because it drives you mental. The reason I love these sorts of episodes is you start to get into specific cases and think, well, what happens in this instance where the end of the tenancy, the final date is actually not very clear and how much can you claim for? And there are some interesting things that I probably hadn't thought of prior to this that you'd want to think about. Now, most of this is pretty worst case scenario sort of stuff, but certainly interesting to go through as a thought experiment and see how it all plays out. And it's interesting because it's, you know, it, it is a relatively fair judgment in our opinion. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But just before we do, I want to ask you help. Now, we are very excited. We've just hit our 1 million downloads. Amazing. 
major, major milestone for us. But now we want to take this community to the next level. And to do that, we need to ask for your help. And to say thank you, we're going to take you out for dinner. So Eddie Orr says that there's no such thing as a free lunch, but there might be such thing as a free dinner. So we're going to go to each of our major centres where we have an office, Christchurch, Wellington, Auckland and Queenstown. And we're going to take about 20 of you out for dinner. So you and a friend can go in a drawer to win to come along to dinner to hear Ed's economics and my hilarious jokes and have me buy the wine, so long as it's house wine. (laughs) And of course, meet each other as well. So if you want to come along to that, we don't think we're going to be able to take everybody out, but we will take 20 out. So we're going to have a draw. Now, how do you enter that? Well, we need three things in order to grow this show. First of all, we would love for you to follow us on Instagram. We are at Opas underscore partners. And also to grow the community, we'd love if you could share something about the podcast on your Instagram or Facebook story and tag us in. And then, of course, we'd also love it if you could give us a review on wherever you listen to this podcast. Now, if you take a screenshot of each of those and send it to podcast at opuspartners.co.nz that'll get you in the draw which we'll make next month we can't wait to meet you all and for you to meet each other as well thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast I'm your host Ed McKnight and I'm Andrew Nicholl and we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market until next time 